0: Matthew 22, verse 35 through 38. Listen to this. And one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him, asking Jesus, Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And this is God's word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we open up your word today, mining it for the riches that are, are in it, the very words of our Lord and Savior, we ask that you would help us to understand, help me to teach, open our eyes, do whatever it is that you need to and want to do in order for us to un- understand the full heart of God. I need help with this too Lord I barely know what I'm doing sometimes and I need I need your power and I need your your spirit to speak through me the things that you want to say not that I want to say and to speak through our ears and into our minds and down into our hearts the things that we need to hear not that we want to hear And God, we read this and we ask that you would give us a sense of anticipation that you are in the business of transforming people from the ground up. And you are able to do what nobody in the history of the world has been able to do with their genius, with their technology, with their know-how, with their experience and with their wisdom change people's hearts, may you change our hearts, may Reality Santa Barbara be a group of people with a bunch of changed hearts, leaking the grace of God and the love of God all over the city of Santa Barbara. So we ask in this week and in the weeks to come that you would have your way and that your kingdom would come in our inner life and in our hearts as it is in heaven. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Have you ever wondered, what does it mean to love God with all of your heart, or all of your soul, or all of your mind, or as the Gospel of Luke says, all of your strength? Have you ever wondered, what does it mean to love God with all of something? We should probably figure that out, because Jesus tells us that that is the one thing that matters. It is the most important thing. Like this lawyer, this young uh, lawyer was trying to school Jesus or maybe he wasn't trying to, to, to school, him. maybe he was really asking. Out of the 613 uh, myopic laws spread throughout all of the Hebrew Bible, which one do you think is the most important? Jesus, without flipping a beat, answers him this. It is to love your God with all of these things. We should probably figure this out, since Jesus declares this to be the most important thing you and I can do as a, a follower of Jesus. Now, we can probably start here, it means at the very least that we are to love God with our entirety, right? With the whole personality. I'm saying this because when Jesus speaks about loving with everything, he brings up all of the elements of the human personality, your heart, your mind, your soul. In Luke, he brings up your strength or your body. And of course, the second commandment, loving your neighbor as yourself. There's a social component. Jesus brings up everything that makes you you. And he says, I want you to love God with all of these things. So at the very least, we can say it means loving God with the entirety of your person. Everything that makes you new, you. you, Not compartmentalizing, not giving a, a piece, not this, but not that. Everything and to its fullness. Now, a follow-up question to that might be this. What would it look like to be less than whole in our love for God? If we were to see somebody, what would their life look like to be less than whole? I want to give you two answers. I want to give you a picture and an example, and then I'll give you a straight answer. But the, the picture might be this. It might have been me. In uh, 2013, in a bit of 2014, looking back, I remember that for someone in my tract, I guess, a ministry tract, I, I had reached everything that a person like me could want. For someone doing church, ministry, going into a vocational ministry of that sort, I had everything I wanted by the time 2013 rolled around. I was a lead pastor of one of the largest churches in the city, doing ministry in a city that people pay millions of dollars to retire in, lived by the beach, married to an incredible woman with wonderful kids, seeing people's lives changed on a regular basis. For someone someone going to school, like seminary, that's, that's it. That's like what you want. I had it. At a very young age, I had all of these things. And yet, I was uh, confused at this point because there was one part of my life that seemed to be thriving, that side on the surface that all of you would see. But then there was another component of my life that was very stagnant, even frozen. I'd find myself preaching the gospel on Sundays and seeing other people being changed and transformed but I would come home Sunday after Sunday wondering what was wrong with me, wondering what I was missing, even a little bit jealous that people were listening to sermons I was giving and they were getting this this incredible encounter with God and I was coming home dry and emaciated and tired and worn out, wondering what was wrong. While other people's experience might have been joy and peace and a, a transformation. Mine was depression and burnout and anger and bitterness and unforgiveness and rage. Because those things were locked deep inside of my heart, it, wasn't, uh, it didn't take too long for people in my life to be affected. I can think of one person who lives in close proximity to me right now, Brianna Lazo, In those years, my marriage with her became distant and rocky. We grew further apart, even though I I looked at all of the checklists of ministry and thought I was doing all the right things, I became busier, started to fill that emptiness with more stuff and more spirituality and that veneer of busyness that so many of us are accustomed to, and as a result of that, my kids barely saw me. When they did, they saw a shell. I would come home, I would sit in a chair, and I would stare at the wall, vacant. On the outside, we looked great. We looked happy, successful, and deeply spiritual. But inside, I felt empty and disillusioned. And whenever I would hear verses like Jesus saying, my yoke is easy and my burden is light, come to me and you'll find rest for your souls, I scoffed at him in anger. This is not how this was supposed to turn out. And that's not how it started. When I got born again at Reality Carp uh, during second set of worship, and the spirit of the living God fell upon me and I was baptized in the spirit, those were the days I would drink deeply of the word of God and spend so much time in the presence of God and my life was filled with joy, a type of joy that I had never experienced before, but somewhere along the way, I lost sight of that. And I didn't know where that was. I was doing all the right things that the books had told me to do. One day, Bree and I got into an argument, one of many, and I remember thinking in that moment, uh, I, w- I was so out of touch. She was in tears because of, because of my condition. And I was so out of touch with myself and with her that all I could think of in that moment was, I need to fix this. What will the church think of if they were to see us like this? I was what you might call emotionally immature. Immature. This time, Brianna would not take responsibility for my infancy. And she walked away. And left me breaking down in some of those things that had erupted in that year. And I was badly shaken, but that was probably one of the best things she could have done. Leave me to take responsibility for my own heart. That's a visual answer. Here's what a straight answer might be to the question, what does it look like to be less than whole in our love for God? For me, I think it was simple. I think I had a lot of knowledge in my mind. I was learning languages and theology and history and learning how to manage and lead and all of that stuff. I I had knowledge in my mind but there were still whole areas of my life that were still untouched by the presence and the power of God. I could look to compartments in my life that were pretty well off. They were high on the charts, and yet there were other elements of my life that were way down here. God had some of me. He didn't have other parts of me. In this case, most of my heart. The question I want us to ask this morning is what does it mean to love the Lord with all of your heart? What does it mean to love God with all of anything? Specifically, what does it mean to love the Lord your God with all of your heart? Now, in scripture, you know, the heart, when the authors are speaking about the heart, they're not speaking about your literal heart that pumps blood and oxygen, all of that stuff that comes From it. The heart in biblical, ancient biblical metaphor metaphor speaks about the core of who you are. It speaks about your inner life, the deepest place in your soul. It's that element of you that drives the rest of you. I love the passage in Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23, which says, To keep your heart with all vigilance. Guard it and keep it like your life depends on it. I would rephrase that that first phrase. Because, and he goes on to say, for from the heart flow the springs of life. The springs of life. In other words, things like decision making. Your ability to create things out of nothing. Like decisions, your willpower. Things that you only have control over. But also things like emotions. When this biblical author is speaking to us, he's saying, keep your heart because out of it flow the springs of life, things like decision-making, will, your spirit, and of course, the emotions. Now, for the next eight weeks, I am going to hone in on the emotions. But I want you to keep in mind that the heart refers to way more than just your emotions. I think it also refers to your spirit. I think those two terms are the same in the Bible. I think it refers also to your willpower, very important, to your ability to make decisions. So it refers to a lot of things. This is just a, a sliver. But for the purposes of this series, I'm going to use those two terms interchangeably. Heart, feelings, emotion. Just know in the back of your head, the heart includes a lot more. It's an important part of you. So what if we were to take that, that phrase again at face value, Proverbs 4, and rephrase it this way. Pay attention to the way that you feel that's partly what he's saying. If that's what your heart is in charge of, pay attention to the way that you feel. Why? Because out of your heart flow the springs of life. Your emotions are an important part of who you are. You cannot disconnect from them. God made our hearts to feel and to feel very deeply and very widely. Now, I want to interact with a couple of objections that are coming up right now in some of your minds. One of them is this. I'm not emotional. <laughs> Eight weeks is a waste of my time because I am a rational, objective thinker. I think about things just at face value. I don't have any feelings. I'm not what you would call emotional, right? Now, I don't want you to mistake what I'm saying here when I speak of the emotions. I'm not talking about emotional roller coasters, okay? I'm just saying that all of us were designed with them. Some of us express them very fully, and others are very, you know, subdued in them. So there's a wide spectrum of expression, but... Uh, it, doesn't, it doesn't matter if you're like over in this area. We all have emotions. So you might, be say, you might say to me, no, I'm not, I wouldn't consider myself emotional. I don't cry a lot. I don't melt down. I'm fairly balanced. I'm pretty good. Emotionally healthy. Peace out. The truth is, while many of us express our feelings in different ways, none of us can separate those emotions from who we are. They're just a part of you. And if you do try to separate them or push them down or hide them, they will pop up somewhere else, albeit in a more unhealthy way. And this is what the scriptures, this one of many, tell us. Proverbs 4.23, if we rephrase it according to our our terminology and our explanations, to uh, guard your heart because from your heart flow the things that animate you. Or to put it this way, from your feelings flow the things that drive the rest of your life. Emotions are powerful. This is the testimony of scripture. We're going to see this in depth as we go through the series. But it's not just, a, it's not just uh, biblically evident. It's also just a physical, neurological impossibility. Uh, if you were to look at the brain... And to enter into an experience, say you put your hand on a hot stove or you entered into a room full of loving friends or you entered into a room full of hated enemies, whatever your experience is, uh, the way that your brain interprets signals like that is from the five senses. A signal starts at the end of your spinal cord and goes all the way to the front of your brain, to the front where your rational thought takes place. This is how you're able... California, man. (laughs) It's kind of what you get with the beaches, I guess. Everybody okay? It was fun. I was about to stop and dance. So right now, with that little tremor, all of you just had an experience. And the way that you've interpreted that experience is through your five senses, whether it's your hands gripping the ends of your seats or your heart fluttering in response. Uh, That signal starts at your spinal cord, goes all the way to the front of your brain where you're able to make a rational thought. Some of you are able to, from that experience, say, oh, that was a tremor, I am going to sit here calmly and not do anything. If only it were that easy, right? You have an experience, that signal goes from the back of your brain, the spinal cord, all the way to the front, where rational thought uh, occurs, where you are able to say, my kid is screaming, I will sit here calmly, and let them do it for a while, and then speak to them rationally. If only it were that easy. Because here's the other reality, that signal, before it travels to the front of your brain, actually has to go through the middle, where your limbic system is. Do you know what that's in charge of? Your emotions. Before it gets to the front where you can make rational thought. That means neurologically, it is impossible for you or me to have any thought apart from a coinciding feeling. We are emotional beings. Even though the ones of us in this room that think we are the most rational and objective people in the world, there is always a coinciding feeling to everything that we do or think. That's how God made us, and it's beautiful. Second objection: You might hear this, and you might say, "Well, that might be the case, but as Christians, we're it's we're supposed to downplay our feelings, which are sinful, and to focus more on our thoughts, which is godly." In other words, Christianity isn't about feelings; it's about you know the mind and the thoughts and all of that stuff. Now, true to that, uh, we are called, and we spent a lot of the previous weeks uh, renewing our mind and getting right thoughts in there. But it's not just your mind. It's also your heart, which includes your feelings. And for the person who thinks of feelings, especially unpleasant feelings, as sinful or shameful, you have Jesus to beg, uh, to differ with. And if you just look at Jesus, and from the standpoint of a follower of Christ, we would think of him not just as the savior of our sins, but as the one in whom all the treasures of knowledge and wisdom are contained. He knows life better than anybody and we enter into his life and endeavor to uh, follow him and apprentice after him and to be conformed by the power of the Spirit in his likeness. And so we, we look to him, not just in the things that he taught, but in the things that he did. And we endeavor by the power of the Holy Spirit to be uh, crafted in his image from the inside out. If you look at the life of Jesus, you see a lot of feelings And he doesn't just feel them, but for some reason, uh, the authors of the New Testament Gospels saw fit to record some of these things. Look at some of this. John chapter 12, verse 27. This is Jesus saying, Now my soul is troubled, shaken up right now. Matthew chapter 8, verse 10. When Jesus heard this, he marveled uh, 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 at the faith that he saw in the centurion. He was surprised. Mark chapter three, verse five, and he looked around them with anger and grieved. John chapter 11, verse 33, when Jesus saw the woman weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. Mark chapter nine, verse 36, seeing the people, he felt compassion for them. John chapter 11, verse 35, longest verse in the Bible, Jesus wept, I think it's interesting that this is the passage in which Lazarus dies. And we all know, and Jesus does too, that he's going to fix the problem. He's going to raise him from the dead. But before he fixes the problem, he weeps. Luke chapter 10, verse 21. In that same hour, Jesus rejoiced in the Holy Spirit and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding, revealed them to little children. He rejoice. Look at this. This is incredible. Jesus feels the full range of human emotion. He feels the full range of human emotion. Look at all the things that come up. It's not just pleasant, but unpleasant. We see him experiencing a a troubledness inside. We see him angry. We see him grieved. We see him crying. We see him deeply moved. But we also see pleasant, what we might call pleasant emotions. He marveled. He's surprised. He feels compassion. He rejoices in the spirit. He feels the full range of human emotion, and he is somehow able to do that without sin. Some of us maybe have a hard time knowing how to express the full range of human emotion, much less without sin. Some of us can't even get to the full spectrum part. Maybe you've grown up your whole life. Maybe your religion has taught you that, that negative feeling feelings are bad and the good ones are good. And so you walk through the Christian life celebrating and just pounding fists and like, I'm fine and I'm good and everything's all right and praise God and hallelujah, even in the face of difficulty, adversity, suffering and, and all the like. Some of you, maybe you're on the other side of the spectrum. Maybe you're, you only know heartache and you've never experienced the joy of celebration. But even for those of us that feel the full range of emotion, it's hard even to do that without sinning. Some of us, express them and end up steamrolling everybody in our path oh we feel really well and others feel our feeling too others are on the opposite side to put it in the words of the famous frozen theologian elsa we conceal don't feel don't let them know (laughs) don't make me sing it sing it a thousand times the last two years But if we were to take our cue from our Messiah, we would have to say emotions are important to God. Not only did he make us with them, but Jesus models how to experience them and through them to experience the presence of God. That means that emotions are a discipleship issue. Emotions are important to the follower of Christ who wants to grow spiritually When we speak of living in Christ and Christ living in us and us wanting to apprentice him, be disciples of Jesus and learn, as he told us in Matthew 28, to do all and observe all that he commanded us to do, emotions are included in that. So let's just stop for a moment and at least get this far, if we can get uh, far at all, to recognize in our hearts together that at least this far, we were made to feel you were made to feel. It's an important part of you. It's not just a throwaway, like, oh, the mind, and oh, the soul, and oh, community, emotions. I mean, whatever, throw away. You know, it's like tri-tip in Texas. Like, they don't use that cut kind of meat. But if you want it and you like the, the way it tastes, you know, throw it in there. No. Emotions are absolutely vital to your understanding of who Jesus is and your ability to follow him. You were made to feel. If you rec- uh, get anything from today, remember that, you were made to feel. Now, this isn't to say that all emotions are right, but it does mean that they're true. It's not to say that we always manage them in the correct way, we don't, but what we're feeling in that moment is often true. And they reveal something and some things about us in those moments. And to neglect The emotional side of our spirituality is really, in essence, to close off a part of your heart to God, to miss the cue of Jesus, to love the Lord your God with all of your heart. Now, I've gotten a lot of these comments in the past over the last three years, so I just want to throw out an aside of comfort to all the tough MMA fighters out there who think I'm just trying to get them to cry. This isn't about crying. My goal here isn't for people to cry or to sing Kumbaya around a campfire. My goal here is to get us honest and open and dangerously vulnerable and risky. In the hope that by doing so, God will meet us at a deeper level than we've ever experienced before. Some people will cry, that's cool. Some people won't, that's cool too. The really important thing in this is to recognize the importance of being honest with those things that are in your heart. Your only other choice is to cut God off from a deep part of who you are and the result of that will be emotionally unhealthy. What does emotionally unhealthy look like? What does an emotionally unhealthy person look like, I should say? Uh, I'll give you two things, and they're both on the opposite ends of the spectrum. An emotionally unhealthy person looks like this. They essentially suppress their emotions. They either suppress or they enthrone. I'll talk about that in a second. They, uh, on one end, they suppress their emotions. They push them down, they hide them, they ignore them. We do this in a variety of ways. One of the most common is just by a lack of simple self-awareness. What I mean by that is you don't even... You don't even know what you're feeling in the moment. You're feeling a lot of things, but you couldn't put a name on it. You might not be able to describe it or put a name to it. You're just feeling all of this conflict inside, and you don't know what to do with it. You might not be able to put it into words, but you are a reactive person. You don't know what's going on, but maybe everyone around you knows what you're feeling in that moment except you. They're feeling the bite of it or the distancing from you. A lot of us, just a simple lack of self-awareness, we don't even know what we're feeling because we've been taught for so many years that these are either not important or they're bad. The second way that we suppress our emotions is by an inability to feel unpleasant emotions, like grief. Perhaps some of you, you've been through trauma or loss some big, some small, maybe frequent, maybe that's just a pattern in your life, but you are trying so hard to remain strong. And the way that you're doing that is by not feeling the bad feelings, the bad feelings. Maybe you even have brought in a a veneer of spirituality to that, and you consider grief and sadness and anger as weaknesses, in yourself and in others. Maybe that's something you correct. When somebody else is grieving, you're like, oh, brother, just look up. You know, in the presence of God is fullness of joy. God works all things together for the good of those who love him. Maybe that's one of your your mechanisms that you you avoid some of these unpleasant emotions. A third way that we suppress our emotions is by ignoring our past. One of the most powerful means of formation in your life and in mine is our past. Now Jesus teaches us that we can be free from that. But for many of us, we don't even know what we're being freed and formed by and from. Some of you have no idea maybe how deeply you've been shaped by your family of origin. There's good patterns in there maybe, but maybe there's some other ones that have deeply shaped your identity and now you're trying desperately to adopt your identity in Christ, but there's something else that is wielding an extraordinary amount of power over you. Another way that we, uh, by the way, we're gonna cover every single one of these individually on Sunday. Another way is avoiding conflict. Because of the above, lack of self-awareness, inability to feel unpleasant feelings, ignoring the past. Because of the above, Perhaps some of us don't even know how to deal with others except to blow up or to distance ourselves and to close off. And so things come up in our relationships with other people. We don't know how to handle those conflicts because we don't even know how to handle the conflict in our own heart. Suppressing emotion is unhealthy because when you begin to ignore your emotions, your past wounds, or what's inside, there is now a layer of yourself that external practices, the ones that we know and love, like Bible reading and prayer and spiritual disciplines and church attendance and worship that are unable to get through to you for transformation on the deepest level. Why? Because you have closed off the deepest level to the presence of God. And you could read your Bible and pray every day and be busy and be active. That's what I was doing. And there's a lot of stuff happening on the surface, but there's not that same amount of transforming work of God happening on the deep layers where it is needed the most. This ends up leaving people disappointed in their faith. Tired. Many of you feel tired? Disillusioned. Burnt out. Broken. Because no matter how hard we try to be better Christians, there doesn't seem to be any change or breakthrough. Further, because we are designed by God to be emotional beings, we will express those emotions in one way or another. If not in the right way, in a damaging way. Uh, Pete Scazzaro, author of The Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, calls this leaking. Just read you this quote that I love. It says, when when we do not process before God the very feelings that make us human, such as fear or sadness or anger, we leak. Our churches are filled with leaking Christians who have not treated their emotions as a discipleship issue. Grieving is not possible without paying attention to our anger and sadness. Most people who fill churches are nice and respectable. Respectable. Few explode in anger, at least in public. The majority, like me, says Pete, stuff these difficult feelings, trusting that God will honor our noble efforts, and the result is that we leak through in soft ways, such as passive-aggressive behavior, like showing up late, or sarcastic jabbing remarks, a nasty tone of voice, giving of the silent treatment, and the list goes on. That's suppressing emotions. That's on one end. On the other end, some of us enthrone our emotions. In other words, we let them control us. Now, you might be very aware of your feelings, or not, doesn't matter. The issue here is that you cannot manage them, they manage you. Perhaps you uh, often feel victimized by the things that you're feeling. Maybe the things that you are feeling are often dictated by your circumstances. You might be happy and good one day because things are happy and good one day. But the, the, the moment Tuesday rolls around, and bad circumstances hit you, your emotions are tied to them like an anchor and you are out of control. Perhaps you're a roller coaster. Your life is governed by your circumstances. Enthroning is unhealthy too because God didn't create your emotional layer to rule your life. Feelings are great servants, but they're horrible masters. And once they're under the mastery of the Lord Jesus Christ, they are powerful means by which to experience and to sense God's presence and to relate to him and others in a powerful way that maybe you've never experienced before. But without that, they're horrible masters. And like everything that makes us human, they're tainted with sin right? No sinful emotions in here? I don't know. Maybe just me. Maybe it'll help to draw out a couple examples of what it looks like to be emotionally unhealthy. Um, These are real examples. People, long time ago, not here. um, An example of avoiding conflict. There's a couple married for 15 years. On the surface, looks great. They look good on the outside. They have no family crises. He pays the bills, puts a roof over their head, food on the table. Doesn't do anything, you know, that seems to plague other marriages. Doesn't look at porn or gamble, things like that. Um, Goes to church every Sunday with his family. She has a small business, has great kids, good grades, puts dinner on the table on time every single day. And yet if you were to probe underneath the surface, what you see on the veneer it looks completely different. She goes to bed every night, feeling completely alone. She feels guilty about that because she has so much stuff, money, career, kids, house, And so she wonders, do do other women feel this way or am I just the only one? Then she corrects herself and justifies him by saying, what more can I ask of him? He he gives me stuff, he makes money, puts bacon on the table, and he's busy. And you know, we just got back from a vacation. And so she suppresses her honesty. She just doesn't talk about what she's feeling. She's not honest with herself. He does the same thing. He feels like he's never giving enough to her. He's underappreciated. And it's not like there's anything terrible going on. It's not like they need to separate. There's been no affair or cheating, not enough to leave. And so he just resigns to what he calls, I guess, a picture of normal marriage. He too is not honest with what he's feeling. What they're both feeling is a lack of passion. When a counselor asks them in a session, when was the last time you looked into each other's eyes for more than 15 seconds? They blush. They don't even know each other. They know each other's social security number and bank accounts and schedules, but they don't know each other on a heart level because they've never been honest. There's no emotional connection. She doesn't know what's going on in his head and uh, he doesn't know how she feels. They're simply coexisting roommates. The disconnect here is that he feels underappreciated and she feels unfulfilled. But they'll never figure that out because they never talk to each other about what they're feeling. Perhaps they're not even honest with it themselves. And so here, they're suppressing their feelings by avoiding conflict. I care more about how we look on the outside than to open up the mess on the inside. Here's one more example. Self-awareness. Freshman college student, comes from a good family. On the surface, looks great. I'm going to call this guy Jimmy. But if your name is Jimmy, it's not you. So, (laughs) Just making it up. Jimmy came from a two-parent home. Parents paid for his schooling, got good grades, went to Westmont, has a good life. Played some sports, getting involved in a local church, wants to be on the worship team. He's told to just sit for an extended period of time and to soak up worship himself and to grow in intimacy before he plays on the worship team. He immediately feels rejected. They don't just reject my gifts, they reject me. Jimmy is operating from a deep sense of insecurity, but he he doesn't even know it. If you were to talk to Jimmy, he would tell you after searching his own heart with some help that he was the youngest kid in his family where everything was done for him. And that powerfully shaped who he is today. He had a driving need growing up to stand out. While all his oldest siblings had all the responsibility, he said, I will never go back to that. I'm going to be independent. I'm going to carve my own path. I'm going to do everything. And really, this guy is so shut down, he's afraid of being left again. And so even a slight redirection, hey, you don't have to do anything right now, just sit, is crushing to his heart and to his soul. He suppresses his feelings by a lack of self-awareness. He doesn't even know what's going on. He doesn't even know what to ask God for help for. Instead of engaging, he withdraws to protect himself, saying, I'll never let anyone reject me again. An emotionally unhealthy person is disconnected to the deep inner areas of their life, of their heart. And you might be doing a bunch of right things. You might be active and busy. You might have a thriving, successful career. You might be killing it, man. You might be filling your mind with facts about God, praying every day so that you grow, grow, grow. But you're not growing. Perhaps you're closing your heart to the activity of God, and so even though you're busy, even though you're doing a bunch of right things, you, if you were to be honest with you, yourself, there's a, a, a lack of personal transformation. And the crazy thing about emotional and spiritual health is that it never happens in a vacuum. It always affects people around us. So it's not just you and your uh, difficulty, it's everybody around you. Uh, because, for example, you might not want to show this side of, people to others because it's messy you don't want people to see your mess and so you begin to project a version of yourself that is false you project a version of yourself that you think other people want to see now what do you think happens when you get a church of people like that who are all doing the same thing hiding the mess projecting versions of ourself that's fake that we think other people want to see Longing for God to give us deep, thriving community. When all we're able to see from one another is what that person thinks we want them to see and not the connection on a heart level. So here's a lack of personal transformation but also a lack of deep, transforming relationships. All because we're too afraid to go beyond a surface spirituality. I think this is my story for many years and I didn't even know it. I think I would have gone on for many years without knowing it until 2013, 14, when a series of events kind of brought that mess to the surface. It took the shape of uh, betrayal and abandonment from some of my closest friends. Um, In that same season, it was when the church was The the reins to the church back when it was uh, three campuses over three cities given to me, and I remember the first Sunday that I took over, it shrank in half, and then did that a couple times. As a guy who just like got out of photo school, that was like more than I could take. And as someone who was deeply insecure, that was more than I could take. Shortly after that, a series of traumatic events happened. In the middle of that, our second kid was born, uh, and he seemed to hate my guts doesn't anymore. He loves me. (laughs) To top it all off, Brianna and I felt alone and isolated. Now, others in my life have had it much worse than I. For some reason, that was just all I could take in that season. My friends, my job, my family, all taking a hit. And in that moment, it brought some things that I was ashamed of to the surface, that I was scared of to the surface, that I was out of my control to the surface. Anger, unforgiveness, bitterness, discontent. I remember in those moments opening up the Bible for a quick fix and reading the word, something that used to be so powerful for me seemed like just words on a brick page. I'd go into the prayer closet and pray, and yet it was just it was just another religious action. I, I couldn't sense the nearness of God. I, I couldn't hear his voice. I, I, I wasn't feeling it to to put it in those terms. I would wake up shaken looking at the course of my life and my own character and the way that I treated people, the thoughts that I thought, the decisions that I made, who I really was, not on the surface, but on the inside, and I was ashamed. I wasn't the guy that I thought I would be after six years of following Jesus. And I had everything that looked great on paper, and yet my soul was withering. All of this came to a head when my wife was fed up walked up to me one day in tears and said, you're not, you're not the, the husband that I thought I married. And as tears were streaming down her face. Kids were crying in some room that I didn't even know. House was a mess and so was my heart and mind. She replied, I want my husband back. And she walked away. In an act of desperation, because I didn't know where else to turn, I saw it some professional counsel. And for the first moment of my life, somebody started listening to me. It wasn't people's fault, it was mine for not sharing, but this guy, was just like a fly fisherman, just... And he began to listen, without judgment or condemnation, as I opened up the mess. After a few weeks, he looked at me and said, you are clinically depressed and on the verge of burnout, to which I replied, Awesome. At the tender age of 32, after only a year of leading a church, I'm off to a great start. God was all over the the surface of my spirituality, knowledge, productivity, busyness, appearance, but the deep places, some of them were a, a, a barren wilderness. And you know what? This was perhaps one of the best things that God has allowed me to go through in my life. Because while there were areas in my life that I had never let God reach, once I got to the spot, as it was unearthed and the mess kind of came to the surface, I saw deep rejection and insecurity and fear and loneliness and anger. Things that I was unaware of or simply afraid to face. And actually, even in some of those years, began to use ministry to protect myself and hide from God and others. And I never knew Until those insecurities began leaking out on other people. In anger, cutting remarks, depression, burnout. You know what was happening? My emaciated heart was trying to get my attention. It had been doing that for a long time. Springs of life. But I had never learned how to mature emotionally in the heart. But God, in his mercy, began to use a horrible year in my life to reach the deepest, most closed off parts of my heart. A week ago, Jude was playing with me. He has a, a whole lineup of fire truck toys. He loves fire trucks. <laughs> remember we at this store and a siren went off. It was not a fire truck, it was an ambulance, but it was a fire truck to him. He was like, Fire truck, Dad, fire truck. wee oh wee-o. And he's just running in circles, wee oh wee-o. And he's grabbing the wall, Fire truck, fire truck. I say that because we come to believe as emotions, uh, we come to believe in emotions as a rather inconvenient attachment to our spirituality sometimes, maybe some of us. But your emotions are the siren of the heart, telling you that you need to pay attention to something and to invite God into that mess instead of closing him out. If you don't, you'll quickly find yourself acting in a way that your heart does not agree with. And that we have a word for. It's called hypocrisy. Where your heart isn't matching your actions. This is what Jesus would eventually say in Matthew 15. This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. I want to offer you this morning a better way. Where we are able by the spirit and power and presence of God able to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, where we're not suppressing our emotion and we're not enthroning it to take over our lives, but we're simply opening our hearts and all that it contains, the mess that it is, before God. That's what we're going to be talking about for the rest of the series. It starts really with being born again. We need new hearts and new minds that can respond to God's love. I love how Paul prays, may he grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. For those of us who are born again, I just want to give you a couple things to think on and reflect on today. We're going to get into all of this stuff more deeply. We're just going to end right here. And say that if any of this is resonating with you and you want, you want God to set your heart free or you just want him to take you deeper in the way of the heart, you can start by letting yourself feel for the first time. Not judging yourself or condemning yourself in the things that you feel, letting yourself start in that moment. If you're having a hard time, read the Psalms. Start anywhere and capture the sense of feeling that the psalmists feel. Stop labeling emotions as either good or bad when it's really how we manage them that turn out good or bad. The second thing you could do, because perhaps you're there and you don't even know what to do with where you're at, you can just start praying and asking God to meet you there. Let yourselves feel and invite God into the mess that is your heart. I love what the psalmist says in Psalm 139: 139, O oh Lord, you have searched me and know me you know when I sit down and when I rise up and you discern my thoughts from afar. You can let yourself feel, give yourself permission to feel, but don't just feel by yourself. Invite God into the mess and ask him, God, what's, what's happening in my heart right now? Once he's there, stop talking and let him speak. I'm gonna ask uh, Alex and the rest of the worship team to come up as we transition into song. And as we consider the source of so much spiritual wreckage is closing parts of our hearts off to God, the way out is actually, it turns out, fairly simple. Opening ourselves up to God and allowing him into the mess. Someone told me that when I give my testimony, I always start with the bad part and I never end with closure, so I should probably do that. (laughs) Here's the deal. After dealing with myself and my past and my grief, I started to learn how to give the deepest parts of me to the Lord. Not just the shallow end, and it's something I'll be doing, hopefully with you, for the rest of our lives. I coupled this because it's not just about looking inward, it's also coupled With spirituality, I begin to couple this with a steady diet of spiritual disciplines, things like silence and solitude and scripture and prayer. I begin to reorder my life around the presence of God. The difference this time, though, was he was able to go deeper in me than I've ever experienced in my life. The effect of that, and I say this without any pretense, or any superlative nature. I've never been more healthy than I am right now. My marriage is healthy. I love my wife and she loves me. We together love Jesus more than we've ever loved them. We love our kids. My kids see more of me than any person in the world. They see their daddy more than any person in the world. And I am at peace inside. It's not to say that I don't go through stuff. I always will, and so will you. But I am able to relate to and worship God from a deep place in my soul, and I love this job. I love that you have allowed me to be a minister in this church, and I look forward to waking up every Tuesday with a reservoir that is full. I'm not as healthy or mature as I'd like to be, but I'm better than I was. (laughs) brothers and sisters that comes with a fight and I'm asking people in this room to fight fight for your heart commit to being real with God and others even though it's messy there is a world waiting for you to explore for anyone in this room who recognizes the power and potential of a human heart and the power and the potential of a human heart that has been made new and alive to the presence of God, who made it for himself and himself only to occupy. You can live this way too. It's not beyond where you are. and There is hope. Heavenly Father, as we sing today, may you Enshroud us with the power of your Holy Spirit. And help us, if anything, just now, just just a tiny step. We don't want to get ahead of ourselves today. And I just ask that you would help us to open, open up our hearts, and to be honest with you today. Whatever we might find in the depths there, I pray that we would be able to approach it without fear and without faking. Remembering that tremendous promise of our Lord that you are with us even to the end of the age. So we ask now for the only thing that can transform human hearts, the very real and tangible presence of Jesus. To come make his way and his home among his church. For healing and for transformation, for restoration, for renewal. That we might be that church that you envisioned so long ago, that loves the Lord with all of their heart, with all of their soul, with all of their mind, with all of their strength, and that loves their neighbor even as they love themselves. Only you can do that, God, so do it in us today. In Jesus' name.